Shaken Blake presents Weapon and Horizon. Listener, and welcome, <laughs> and welcome to another episode of Shake and Blake. Hi, fan. <laughs> yes, <laughs> starting as we mean to go on. Yes, it's another episode of Shake and Blake, the Blake Seven podcast, which is brought to you both by Geek Planet Online and Earth Two dot net. I am one of your hosts, Dave Probert, and joining me as ever, my faithful companion on this journey, is Mr. Ian Wilson. Hello there. And how are you, sir? I'm very chipper after that opening, I must <laughs> say. <laughs> it's always best to start with a laugh and a smile. Because <laughs> it's all downhill from here. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> well, um... I think we should possibly start with uh, some Blake 7 news. Ooh, ooh, yes, yes. I, I, I never thought I'd actually be saying that while we were recording <laughs> this, but we actually have Blake 7 news. That, that's somewhat incredible, like, 30 years on from after it finished. Yes. Because as as people, I mean, most everyone who haven't, hasn't even heard of Blake 7, at least one concrete fact about Blake 7... And that's how it ends. Yes. So, so news is not something you really come to expect. No. But news is what we have. Yes. And so it turns out that the, the good people at Big Finish, responsible for all the uh, Doctor Who audio stories, amongst many other things, have added Blake Seven to their production roster. As yes. Of, in. As of 2012, Blake Seven: The Liberator Chronicles will launch, and it will be. Uh, a box set of three discs with uh, some adventures on each disc, featuring two of the original stars of the TV series on each disc. So, yeah, it should be some good stuff. Plus, they're going to start doing uh, two novels a year as well, two original novels. Ooh, very nice. So, yeah, it's exciting stuff, and I look forward to seeing what they put out there. Well, I suppose in the same way that... Uh... But classic who still continues in some form, thanks to Big Finish, because obviously it's a very audio-based medium, and you can hide the fact that the actors nowadays look nothing, or and probably don't sound that similar to when they were portraying those characters on the small screen many moons ago. And I think the same should be good for Blake Seven, because... I mean, I believe most of the original cast are still alive. Uh, David, um, David Jackson, who played Gan, is sadly no longer with us. Yes, but other than that, I, th- I think mostly they're, they're, they're still around to this day. So, I mean, if 
if there's room for more than just two of the original cast, then uh, good stuff. Absolutely, yes. I mean, I can only assume that they're going to be doing possibly something similar to like some of the companion chronicles they've been doing. Right. Sort of like a stripped-down stories just to include like, a couple of members of the cast, because you're not going to be able to get absolutely everybody together, either because people won't want to do it, or... But for instance, I don't know how up for it Gareth Thomas would be, for instance. Is he someone who's kind of distanced himself from the show? I mean, he still attends conventions and stuff, but uh, whether he would still be looking to revisit the actual character or not, I don't know. So I take it he's not one of the two original people noted? Well, they they haven't named who's going to be involved. They haven't necessarily said that it's going to be just two members of the original cast, or whether it's going to be sort of two mem- two original cast members per adventure. If you see what I mean. Ah, uh, okay. So th- there haven't been any more sort of uh, announcements, but uh, n- more news as we get hold of it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I'll tell you the two actors I want it to be. <laughs> I, I think we all know the two actors who we really want it to be. All right, all right. So I won't bother then. <laughs> Say so anyway, sir. Oh, well, you know, Gan and Callie, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Callie and Orak. Theirs is a winning combination. Except, uh, again, sadly, Peter Tumblr is no longer with us either. Ah, uh, right. Mm. It's a great shame. Oh, well. <laughs> well as, you, as you say, more news as it comes. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, shall we proceed to the uh, emails? Oh, my favourite part. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, first email I've got uh, is from uh, Mitchell McCann, who actually uh, sent us some feedback for Redemption and Shadow, and it just uh, got to my inbox a bit late, so it wasn't in time for the episode. So, this isn't going to officially count, I don't think. I don't think that would be fair to count that in the official feedback tally. Okay, then. So uh, I shall read the email, though. It's like, okay. Good day, Ian and Dave. Yeah, not, not sure about the order there. <laughs> uh, thanks, Mitch. <laughs> Some thoughts on redemption. I think I'll start with the nitpicking parts, specifically how ORAC works. I was under the impression it could access and draw on the resources of any computer which contained the Tariel cell that Ensor designed. Since the entire Federation uses these, it would be a very useful device. Yet the people they come across are using technology that is older than Ensor is. Mr. Slave McGuffin... <laughs> I think he means Michael Rosen. <laughs> That's says, the guy. That, says that the, the building is older than his grandfather, so there are no Tariel cells. How does Orac manage to control the Liberator or these other vehicles? I was glad to see that the bracelet bracket has been replenished. This is great news because in Orac the rack was half empty. You can't lose what you don't have. <laughs> Any of the costumes this episode felt silly, especially the spandex and cellophane security officers. Blake, <laughs> Blake's big puffy sleeves sometimes make it hard to take him seriously. Comparatively... <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> yes. Uh, comparatively, the outfits of Avon, leather mad scientist, Gan, pimp cloak... <laughs> And Callie, sensible sci-fi ball gown, were all hits with me. I think if I were to pick cosplay options for the character, these would be my favourites so far. 
He then says, the following report on Shadow is for your ears only. <laughs> Why does that ring a bell? <laughs> a member of a secret society of supervisions, Largo is using drugs to keep a brother and sister team under his control. Luckily for them, there is a plucky upper-crust British man who's going to save the day. Oh my god, I had... <laughs> That's brilliant. Using clever gadgets, good quips, and a bold plan, he comes in to stop the criminal's dastardly plot. I guess I stretched that joke as far as it could go. No, wait, the cactus looks like a disco valanti. That's all I've got. <laughs> good little story, showing both the power of Callie, the depths the Federation goes to for power, and proves that Villa lacks self-control when it comes to alcohol as well as stealing. <laughs> Gan, Avon and Blake all had costumes I didn't like, being, <laughs> being puffy or shiny enough to make them hard to take seriously. Maybe Largo would have dealt with them if Avon didn't look like he'd fallen in love with the role of aluminium foil. The foil, yes. <laughs> he makes up for it slightly when he dresses up for the planet in Luke Skywalker's suit, too bad he couldn't find a safari suit, though. I could have dragged my joke a little further. <laughs> the costume I liked best was Callie's white, white gown. Very flowy and feminine. But not such that you doubt for an instant that she will blow away the city or anyone that threatens her and her team. Also, the slightly angelic look she gets at times is great for when you have to fight a nebulous black evil. Also, the ship now has a cactus mascot. Plants and couches. This is one of the coolest bridges ever. <laughs> uh, P.S. Not really for the podcast, but something I've been meaning to bring up on the forums to say to Dave. Been going through some old eclectic podcasts and, and have to bring up two points. One, the words I am the nipple fairy gets a little more terrifying each time I hear it. And two, is there any villain that the Cary Grant voice works with? Uh, yes. <laughs> Basically, if you haven't heard the Eclectic Podcast, that will mean absolutely nothing to you. So uh, I, I won't necessarily address those right now. Whereas I've listened to, I've listened to every episode of the Eclectic Podcast, and I forget the exact episode the Nipple Fairy appeared on. But, uh... <laughs> it's not every day you get to utter those words, is it? Not really. I no. forget which episode the Nipple Fairy occurred on. <laughs> Uh, Mitchell has also sent some feedback on uh, Weapon, but we'll, okay. we'll take that for a bit later. Uh, we also have some uh, feedback from uh, Reverend Organ and Amory, mm -hmm. again for Weapon, so uh, we'll save those for after we've discussed the episode. So my official feedback tally is a, is a two. That's respectable. It is, isn't it? Yes. Well, um, I've got to say, I do have an email. And after, after learning the lesson of trying to rely on friends who know lots about science fiction and therefore have actually come across the program in question, only for them to stab you in the back and <laughs> everything like that. His suffering will be slow. Um, I, I can instead turn to people who have no idea about anything to do with Blake 7 but they'll send in an email anyway. So, with that, in, with that in mind, uh, this one is from the email address bigdamnheroes at earth-2.net. Splendid. And this is from Hannah. 
who says, Hello, Ian, and that Dave person I just started talking to on Twitter. Hello. <laughs> Based on a quick wiki of Blake 7, here's my question. How much of this show is just Battlestar Galactica with the roles reversed? Because that's what it seems like so far. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll pause at this point of the email. Dave. Yes. As, as, as you may gather, I'm probably not the best person on earth to answer this kind of question. But, <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how valid is the idea that this is kind of like Battlestar Galactica with the roles reversed? Well, I suppose there's a kind of an argument to be made for it in certainly comparing it to the uh, more recent version of Battlestar Galactica. I mean, I think if they ever remade Blake 7, it has the potential to be the British Battlestar Galactica in terms of, you know, you could have that kind of grittiness there. So the, the fact that it's, you know, from the description that Hannah's read of the program, and it's speaking to her as a as the sort of Ron Moore era Battlestar Galactica, I think is a compliment more than anything. Okay. Uh, well, the uh, email concludes, Also, shameless plug, listen to Big Damn Heroes, out every other Wednesday on Earth2.net. We've just finished up Season 2, and I'm moving into Season 3, uh, she means to say, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, well, take care, you silly old Brits, Hannah. So, thank you, Hannah. Yes, thank you, Hannah. Yes. You, you've saved me from the embarrassing ignominy of not having anything in the inbox this month. So, uh, it's yes. Ha- it's happened to me before, and I know it's not a nice feeling. No, it isn't. So, um, I, I will concede, but at least it wasn't quite as embarrassing as the past two episodes, for different reasons. <laughs> it, it was a close defeat. I'd always prefer it when it's, when it's a, a closely run race. Yes, absolutely. Well, having said that, shall we plough on into our first episode? Yes, let's. Orac, your information on the weapons development base is unsatisfactory. Define unsatisfactory? I was about to. Your strategic computations start from the premise that the base is on maximum security alert. Computer communications traffic indicates that it is. Not permanently. It is not a practice drill. So what is it? Clearly, some occurrence, which is a real or apparent threat. Thank you, Orac. I'm sure we'd have never worked that out for ourselves. It is therefore the case that security in the immediate future will be sensitive and alert. A fact to be included in strategic computations. Moral? Never argue with a computer. Right. What was the cause of the alert? Obviously somebody broke in. Or out. Which is it, Orac? That information is not immediately available. Well, can you get it? It has no bearing on the problem. Can you get it? Eventually. How long is eventually? It will require time and resources, far in excess of the value of the information. Well, get it anyway. I want the reason for that alert. Very well. I will report in due course. Okay, so today's first episode is Weapon. Which, before I go any further, I'd like to point out, was written by a certain Mr. Chris Boucher. (laughs) Who wrote Shadow. And, and bearing in mind how close to death I came trying to synopsize that episode, <laughs> I just want you all to bear with me 
Buckle up, strap yourselves in, this could get a bit bumpy. Although, possibly not to quite the same extent. No, but I, I think we could be close. Oh, well, take it away. Okay, the episode starts with a thwacking great big explosion. Yeah, it does. As a, as a spaceship is destroyed, and then we see two people. Uh, one is called Koza, who, who's a man, and he has a, uh, a lady companion called Rochelle, who is a, uh, a bond servant who uh, Koza has freed. And they're talking about the fact that they've deliberately blown up the ship to make it look like they've crashed. And they're basically uh, in hiding. They're on the run for the Federation, and Koza has something clearly of great value and a very big collar. <laughs> it's a bit Gallifreyan. It, it is a bit, isn't it? So, we go to uh, the planet of the Clone Masters, apparently. <laughs> yes. Where some bloke dressed as Travis <laughs> is, is standing around not doing much. Then Blake walks in and the bloke dressed as Travis shoots him. Death. <laughs> uh, it turns out that this isn't the real Blake. This is actually a clone of Blake created by the Clone Masters, who are led by Clone Master Fen, who has an even bigger collar <laughs> and seems incapable of entering or exiting a room without a chorus of angelic music playing in the background. <laughs> so she just staggered on from an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. <laughs> <laughs> clone Master Fen is, is unhappy that uh, Travis has just bumped this clone off. Because they have a big thing about respecting life. And um, Servaland, it sounds like Servaland is there as well. Servaland and Travis have a bit of a slagging match. They start bickering with each other. And uh, it turns out that, um, yes, they, they have basically cloned Blake for nefarious purposes. On board the Liberator, uh, Avon is talking to the rest of the crew because he's found out that Orak has been doing um, tactical projections for Blake and not been telling the rest of them. And it turns out that at Callie's suggestion, Blake has been researching uh, the Federation's experimental weapons facility with a view to uh, attacking it and capturing weapons, getting a supply of weapons with which to attack uh, Earth. Uh, Avon is less than pleased at this idea, which he calls yeah, pretty much suicidal. And so they basically they decide to um, to look into this, but it turns out that Aurac's tactical projections are based on the base being on maximum alert, which Blake has a problem with, saying that uh, well you know surely you know if we go to the base well, if we go to the base and it's not on maximum alert, and Aurac says but it is on maximum alert. I've intercepted the signal saying it's on maximum alert, to which everyone goes oh all right then. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, back on the uh, planet that uh, Koza and Rochelle are on, they basically find out like a deserted factory complex. They hole up in what appears to be a mess hall. Uh, they get attacked by some big beast thingy. And Koza. It's <laughs> something like that. And Koza shoots it with this gun he has with him. But it doesn't die straight away because Koza says he hasn't told it it's dead yet. He then uses a remote control device that activates it and this basically kills the creature. 
On the world of the Clone Masters, Travis and Servalan receive a message that Kozer has gone missing, and uh, Servalan sends Travis to go find out what the blue hell is going on. And it turns out Kozer is scarpered with something called Imipak. And uh, Imipak is an experimental weapon that Kozer has designed, and Kozer has decided to uh, steal it because he reckons that the Federation were just going to sort of use it and take all the credit and not give him you know, the, the credit for inventing it, because he apparently he's only like a beta-grade weapons developer, so he, he, in theory, he should have been capable of developing something which is apparently this good. So, both the Federation and the Liberator crew work out that Coase has gone missing and he's got Imipak with him, and they both decide to go track him down. Back on board at the Space Command space station, Servalan orders Travis to uh, lay some mines around areas where he thinks Coase Koza might be, and they reckon they might have had a chance of tracking him down. Travis leaves, and then Awesome, in its human form, arrives at Space Command. (laughs) In the shape of Carnell, who is a psycho-strategist, who are also known as Puppet Masters. Before we go any further into this, I want to make this quite clear that Carnell is awesome. He's bloody brilliant. And it turns out that uh, everything that's happened so far has been worked to plans based on what uh, Carnell has said is going to uh, going to happen. And Servalan is paying Carnell to come up with a strategy which allows Servalan to take possession of Imipak without anybody else knowing that she's got it. And it turns out that this is what the clone of Blake is for, because... Uh, Koza is a bit of a Blake disciple, but Blake's a bit of a hero of his, and so they're going to send the clone in to convince Koza to give Imapak to, well, uh, not Blake, and to, uh, in turn, turn it over to Servalan. So, this is exactly what happens. Not Blake walks in, Koza um, gives him Imapak, and he explains that Imapak stands for, and I've got this written down there, um, Induced Molecular Instability Projector and Key. And what it does is it uh, creates a small cluster of unstable molecules in a target. You zap it. And the person who's been shot with Imapak won't even know they've been shot with Imapak. And you don't kill them until you activate the the remote control device, which kills them. And you can do that from a distance of up to a million miles away. (laughs) And at any time. So you, you, you decide basically how long they live, when they die, and how far away you want to be when it happens. And he, he intends to give this to Blake as a weapon so he, that he could use against the Federation. And so not Blake promptly hands it over to Servalan, who then uh, uses it on Koza, uh, killing him, and then has a whale of a time tagging everybody else with him, with him a pack. Including Travis. Including Travis, yes. Uh, not Blake starts um, getting a bit hippie and talking about how all life is sacred. Uh, Servaland goes, goes to suggest uh, killing Rochelle and not Blake protects her, and so the two of them are taken away. Meanwhile, the real Blake, Gan and Avon, teleport down to the planet, and they discover an extremely smug Servaland and Travis waiting for them. And uh, while they've been walking around the complex, Travis has uh, zapped all three of them with Imipak, and Servaland explains basically that... Uh, 
you know, they've been marked for death and she's going to let them try and get away and get a head start from the beam. Meanwhile, back on Space Command Space Station, uh, Carnell receives a piece of intelligence which makes him quite unhappy. You don't find out what's written in the uh, report he reads, but he starts bemoaning the fact that he didn't ask for half of his money up front. <laughs> uh, back on the planet, the uh, Liberator crew teleport back up to the ship, and then Blake decides to try and put the Liberator on the opposite side of the planet to try and dodge the signal. And uh, Servaland gives Travis the remote control in order to uh, basically kill Blake. But then not Blake and Rochelle come in, and uh, capture Imipak, and basically send uh, Travis and Servalan packing. Uh, Servalan is deeply annoyed that the whole plan has come come off, and <laughs> is intended to have some very stern words with Carnell. And the episode ends with Carnell leaving the single greatest answer phone message ever left by anyone ever. <laughs> he ends basically by saying, like. Where Carnell has gone wrong is he failed to take into account that Kozer would have Rochelle with him. His plans were working off the basis that uh, Kozer was alone. And because of that random element, the plan has gone wrong. So, having received that piece of intelligence in the report that he read, Kozer decided it was best just to, you know, leg it. And so he sends a, a very polite message saying, it's, well, it's kind of not really my fault, but I'm, <laughs> I'm off now, goodbye. And can I just say that you are the sexiest officer I have ever seen. Which leaves Servalad grinning in a bit of a girly flash fashion and twirling a flower around. <laughs> and thus the episode ends. Yeah, you see, it wasn't so bad. Yeah, I think it lost a little bit there, but uh, yes. Uh, Mr. Wilson, your thoughts on this? Well, um, of, of the two Boucher episodes, I prefer this one. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I think, um, I don't know, I, I was kind of thrown into a weird place right at the very beginning. Um, first of all, we start off with that giant explosion. Then we have Cosplay Travis uh, killing Blake. <laughs> That's what he's being called uh, now, Cosplay Travis. That's his name. Cosplay Travis seemingly kills Blake. And they're like, Okay, that's a fake out. And then, um, <laughs> I suppose it progresses um, along the way. It did actually lead to, I think, uh, the final third of the <laughs> episode was really good, the way it built up, especially with Servland tagging Cosplay Travis and then him uh, tagging the three members of the Liberator crew that were down there, and then the kind of Mexican standoff they had. Um, I really got into that. And, um, of course, we uh, have the awesomeness of Carnell. They, I think this would be a mediocre episode were it not for the presence of Carnell, who is just brilliant. He, he's, <laughs> like, he's so arch, and it's, it's just a wonderful character, because Carnell is just bored. He's just <laughs> so intelligent and so knows how everybody thinks and he's so good at tactics that he's just bored to tears. Like at one point he's, uh, he's playing with that uh, really expensive uh, chess machine. Of course he is. He's a strategist. They all play chess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he's sort of uh, just 
a bit annoyed because he spent so much money on it and he's beaten it like six or seven times already. So he just randomly gives it to that Federation clerk. Mm. He's like, do you play chess? Have this. <laughs> it's useless to me. Yeah, so it seems like, you know, apart from making some money from it, the main reason Carnelli's doing this is just because he's bored out of his mind and this is like a distraction for him. <laughs> and there is uh, definitely some heat between him and Serverland. Oh, there is... I, I actually revived an old feature from Fiores only when I was taking my notes. And I've got a shag count of about two. <laughs> and I, I'd I wait definitely the first. think they... they they bumped heels, or whatever you call it. Uh, well, if, I mean, I, I suppose there's enough there for some kind of realistic fan fiction. But, I mean, the, fl- <laughs> the flirting was um, quite incredible, because obviously Servlan is a very, uh, can be quite a flirtatious character, especially in this episode. Oh, my job! And how hot does she look in this episode as well? I mean, she looks stunning as well. That... The outfit she wears throughout is, oh, that that is literally my note. Four is my note. Nice. Yeah, I, I also wrote down Servalan looks gorgeous. Mm. And, I mean, she does stroke Travis at one point just to kind of because okay, j- just to veer off Carnell for a sec. Travis, okay, cosplay yeah, Travis. Let's get into cosplay Travis. Cosplay Travis now. When I first saw Cosplay Travis, it's like, I didn't think they'd made too bad a casting choice in that the guy kind of looks like Stephen Grief, just with, like, slightly longer hair. Yes, sort of vaguely. Yes. Then he spoke. Yeah. Uh, I just, wait, why have I got a Cockney Travis? Or at <laughs> least the guy... <laughs> well, that's, that's not... Travis, he has a very cold, clipped voice that he uses to bark at people. I think and here, get why he's got an eye patch now. Like he had an artificial eye before, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, I, and now he's just got an eye patch, like some sort of crap pirate. <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously he would have gone to some kind of surgeon or whatever. Um, but if you think about it, if Marriott was so brilliant and could only get Travis to the state that he was in in the first season, and now you look at him now and he seems to be a lot better in that he's only got this eye patch and seemingly just a glove rather than like a, a completely fake arm. It, it is still a fake arm, I can tell you that much. Yeah, but I, I don't know what it was. It just didn't seem as realistic. Perhaps it's because the kind of a bionic eye thing that he had in the first season kind of lent itself more to the false arm. But either way, I mean, I, ever since he told me, like, at the end of the first season that we weren't getting the same actor for the character. I was kind of stealing myself <laughs> for this moment. And as I said, I, in terms of look, they could have got it a lot worse in terms I, of the acting. I will say, I do, I do quite like the costume. I think yeah. the costume's all right. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. But I don't know. It's, it's, just, it's just the man inside it that's the problem. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, at, at one point, I think, yeah, uh, oh, in my notes away. Uh, uh, God knew Travis's shit. <laughs> I think my only note that was kind of like that is like brackets, um, his voice ellipses. <laughs> and, and that, or, or that, actually, my first Travis note was Travis. Yes, that's Travis. Yeah, okay. It certainly seems to be like he's like a completely different person. I mean, even like the relationship he has with Serverland, there was always kind of before there was kind of like that one-upmanship, you know. Yeah, and this time he's actively strangling her at one point. Yeah, or... and, but most of the rest of the time they're bickering like an old married couple. Yeah, you know, I mean, like before, sort of, you know, Serverland recognised the value of Travis. You know, he's you know, he's a tough, hard man, willing to do things that other people won't, and that sort of thing, mm. and, and sort of seeks to manipulate that. And here, he's just like, "You're a dick. It's like, You're an ass." Although I will say, because I do think that um, at least Travis does, in a kind of glaring way once he's been put in his place. He does keep uh, referring to Serverland as Supreme Commander. Um, which which sometimes undercut the situation quite nicely. Um, <laughs> but then I've, I suppose there's an odd thing about Travis and the use of Travis or, or just like a previous appearance of Travis because I mean, the plot is centred around um, a very detailed plan which is designed to ensnare Blake uh, through using clones. Well, well, the, the clones aren't to ensnare Blake. Imipak is right, okay, to okay, but, uh, All right, OK, OK. Clones are there to give Servalan Imipak. Yes, yes. It's, it's a highly detailed plan involving clones. It made me think back to uh, Project Avalon. Yes. If there is this race of people that can just create clones like that, um, then why wasn't... (laughs) Why weren't they used in Project Avalon? (laughs) Instead of building androids with um, unrealistic insides. Yeah, and instead of needing to capture or (laughs) have handed over to them a rebel leader. Actually, no, I can probably tell you the reason for that. Because... because in Project Avalon, it was necessary for the androids to release a virus that would have killed everybody on board. And with the, uh, with right. the clones yes. thing about the um, how all life is sacred, they wouldn't have killed themselves, never mind anybody else. Okay, that's that's a fair point. But yeah, it, it's a good point. But I, yeah, I, I think they sort of cover themselves mm. with the whole sort of sacredness of life. It's <laughs> fair enough. Um, I, I suppose. One of the interesting things is we're not really talking about the main cast <laughs> at the moment. Well, because they don't get a whole huge heap to do, really. I mean, at the start, they have that big kind of you know, debate about whether or not they should be attacking the experimental weapon centre in the first place, which yeah. Avon is very much against. Yeah. He has that great line to Callie, because like, like Callie says it's her idea. And... and um, he says something like, I don't know how it is on Aaron, but on Earth you, you don't kill your friends while attempting to commit suicide. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I suppose it's just because they kind of have 
three things going on at once. I mean, one is Servland, Travis, and Car- Carnell. And then you've also kind of got, to a lesser extent, for the relationship between Kosa and Rochelle. And all it really did for me was just, like, completely turn me off Kosa as a character. Yeah, oh, Kosa's a dick. Oh, he's, he's, <laughs> he's an he's absolute terrible. jerk-off. And, yeah. and he's dressed like a disco superhero. <laughs> you, remember, so, so, you ever see any pictures of like the sort of thing Marvel Comics were doing in the 70s with like, you know, people like Luke Cage, Power Man, and stuff like that? People with massive collars and huge lapels and stuff like that. And there's like shirts <laughs> open at the chest. That's what Koza's dressed like. That's or if General Zod was a Time Lord. <laughs> if General Zod embraced disco. <laughs> Boogie before Zod. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and then, like, if that wasn't bad enough, Clone Master Fen shows up and, it... <laughs> and uh... Starlight Express. <laughs> In my notes, I actually wrote, "Is there a prize for biggest collar?" <laughs> He's like, you, "If you think that's a big collar, wait till you see the size of this collar." And yeah, I don't know what's going so, on with the music. Like, every time Clone Master Ben comes, he's like, oh, oh, oh. It's like, what? It's like, is somebody like, on standby pressing play on the tape every time she comes in or out of a room? Like, we need this entrance to be less awkward. Quick bunks of music over the top of it. <laughs> It's like, she got a stage manager. She got roadies working backstage. Like, yeah, two ten minutes to the entrance to Clone Master Fred. Start the uh, start the smoke smoke machine. Yeah, and uh, and cue the music. Oh, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she, she's leaving. She's leaving. Start the music again. <laughs> and she's what? She's in the story for about ten minutes and then nothing. Yeah. Although, I mean, there was some interesting stuff about the Clone Masters, considering how little you actually see. Well, I mean, Clone Master Fen is the only Clone Master you actually see. But mm. the, like, the little sort of, like, a background they paint them is actually quite interesting. I mean, they say, like, Clone Master Fen is a, a clone of the original Clone Master Fen, who was then raised with the same beliefs and the same values. And, mm. yeah, and at some point, she will clone herself again. So basically, all the Clone Masters are replicas of the original people sent there. It's like, oh, that's it. That's all. That's really interesting. Quite a nice sci-fi idea. And then, oh, <laughs> oh. yeah. Uh, you know, you, my my Lloyd Webber analogy. Yeah. I'm just seeing the next primetime BBC One talent show. <laughs> so you think you can be Clone Master Fen, do you? <laughs> How do you solve a problem like Clone Master Fen? <laughs> Any clone master Fen will do. <laughs> I'd just like to apologise to anybody whose speakers I ruined just by singing very high just now. <laughs> oh, please. Of all the podcast co-hosts I've had who've ruined speakers <laughs> through singing. I say singing. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing to behold. But yeah, I think there's all this interesting kind of sort of sci-fi world building going on for one person who uh, is dressed like an idiot and has a stupid entrance. 
it's, it's sort of like the it's like the production sort of rather undercutting what the script's doing. I mean, even Servalan, in an aside to Travis, is just I will deal with this irritating woman. <laughs> you go off. <laughs> I do. I do like the fact that at one point she says to Travis that, that the Clone Masters are somewhat awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I know she means it in terms of their power and their bearing and stuff like that, but I'm thinking they're, they're, they're not that awesome. No, awesome showing up later. <laughs> you're going to be you're going to be entertaining awesome in your boudoir, madam. <laughs> and if I could do the whistle, <laughs> what do you mean? That's the one. <laughs> oh, it's been a long time since I've heard that. <laughs> Three wonderful notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the notes of ecstasy. The notes <laughs> of love. <laughs> From a damn's whistling love songs out. <laughs> <laughs> so him and Roger Whittaker, they got the one. <laughs> and, and on that note, um, the, the kind of I don't know, the the end of the episode kind of reminded me of the end of season four of New Who, with a uh, woman being left with clone of protagonist. Oh, yes, yes. As a, as a sex toy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, the, the problem with the clone Blake is, I mean, they make a point of saying that it's not an exact clone of Blake, it's basically his DNA structure, and they've grown him as a full-grown person, so he... He doesn't have any of Blake's experiences, but he has been sort of reading up on Blake's background, so it's sort of enough to sort of pass cursory inspection that anybody who actually talked to a friendly length of time would know it, who knew the real Blake would, would know the difference instantly. So yeah, it's, it's because sort of... clone, clone Blake doesn't piss anyone off. Yes. And he sort of gives himself away when he was, t- <laughs> when he, um, talking to, um, Koza, and then halfway through, he just sort of put, he does that weird kind of arm salute thing that they all do on the Clone Master planet. He goes, all oh, life is sacred. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, all life is sacred. That's not the Blake we know. In no way. <laughs> <laughs> Hell so if, if anything, uh, Rach really lucked out with like the best version of Blake there could be. <laughs> Well, he's got the look of a perm Chuck Norris, but without any of the personality flaws. <laughs> You're saying they're personality flaws with someone who self-styles themselves as a perm Chuck Norris. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, but yeah, I mean, as for the main cast, I mean, like, you know, they don't really do anything. No. Like, looking back at all my notes, but most of my stuff is about sort of Carnell, it's about Kozo, it's about Serverlan. And it, 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 the main cast seems to be really sidelined, and so like, yeah. and even more so when they actually get to the planet, because you know it's only Gan, Avon, and Blake who go down to the surface. And even then, they don't, oh, actually, they, were... they don't even know Clone Blake exists. No, they never they never meet him, they never see him, they never know it's it's happening or whatever. I suppose that makes filming slightly easier. Well, yeah, it's, but... it's clearly designed to save a bit of money. So, oh, God, I mean, <laughs> we can't afford split screen. We can't afford split screen. He's <laughs> like, Chris, you can have a clone, but just don't have them in the same room, all right? It's, it's fine. <laughs> well, there was one moment... I, yeah, re- I mean, really, 
of all the notes I have for people from the Liberator, I've got Avon channeling Shatner um, when he threatens... <laughs> I think he threatens Cosplay Travis by saying, Put that on the floor. <laughs> when, when talking about Imipak. Yes. Um, but otherwise, no. That's that's about it. So I suppose that just means we can properly talk about Carnell now. Yeah, well, I mean, before we get onto Carnell again, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do kind of like how how much of a ball Servalan is having being evil when she thinks the plan's going her way. Yeah. The, the little grin she has on her face every time she zaps somebody with Imipak. And then when um, uh, Blake Gannon Avon arrives, she's just saying, I was beginning to think you'd never get here. <laughs> and, and, and just, look, just basically really enjoying herself. Because at that point she does have the upper hand. Mm. Even against uh, Travis. Yeah. <laughs> but then, um, I mean, Blake has the intonation of the, oh, the Supreme Commander. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> As he gets to meet her again. Again, she's quite ruthless. I mean, she she quite, you know, coldly dispatches with uh, Koza. Not to mention the uh, guard they were travelling with. Yes, I mean, she basically just, like, tags the guard and then kills him in front of Blake just to show them what Imipat can do. Hmm. This is a woman with no remorse. And I suppose... I mean, when I first saw the scene where Carnell's chatting with the uh, the kind of nice Federation officer, or the guy who doesn't seem to be all that evil, yeah. um, you know, we we see him, like, intercept, like, a report that is, to, that is not for him to see, but he reads it anyway. I mean, I had initially thought that it was some kind of um, death sentence for... <laughs> Carnell, because I think on the surface, doesn't Serverland have a line separate, maybe I won't kill Carnell after all, or something like that. It, it, it's something like that, yeah. She's not to see, so maybe she'll keep Carnell around. Yeah. And not just for the plainly awesome sex she's having. <laughs> yeah, well, to be honest, if she's stuck on a space station with Travis... <laughs> but, well, especially new Travis. Cos- cosplay, tra- cosplay <laughs> Travis. Because at least <laughs> the Travisogram. <laughs> <laughs> Open your door. <laughs> there <he> is. <laughs> <laughs> Just slam it in fear, wouldn't he? <laughs> oh dear! What a tool. <laughs> I'm now thinking of a Travisogram. Dear God. <laughs> you wouldn't send it to someone you liked, would you? <laughs> right, I figured out my revenge for Richard Patterson. <laughs> I'm sending him, send him a, a Travis program. Yeah. <laughs> and he has to dance to the Scissor Sisters. Skip <laughs> 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 around the room to I can't decide. <laughs> Oh, yes. Now there's an image. <laughs> you will haunt you all your days, Patterson. <laughs> <laughs> you dare imitate a Glade Packer stunt from much earlier in the podcast, <laughs> <Spokes> man. 
You're like a two cent packer, that's what you are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why this Travisogram is for you. <laughs> anyway, um Yes, Carnell. You're on the inside recently um mentioned uh, the character of Richard Mace from the visitation as as Mr. Awesome. I can't have yes. to spit that Carnell is a strong contender to beat that. Look, Carnell is very awesome, because, I mean, because like most of the best laid plans of the Federation in Blake 7, they they go awry, and yeah. somehow the Liberator crew manage to escape with their life, even though they haven't really done very much to help the situation. No. <laughs> but, um, I mean, in fact, I mean, apart from a line of dialogue where the surviving people on the planet are going to communicate to the Liberator just to tell them they're off the hook. They very much finished the episode fleeing in terror, thinking they're about to be um, destructed at any any second. I, I do have one question about that. Yeah. How are they going to communicate with the Liberator to let them know they're okay? Well, it wasn't the line of dialogue something like, um, there's a communications thing under the floorboards we can get it working and then let them know. Possibly, yeah, but I, I don't see how I either know how to fix it, and also, how are you going to get a message to a ship where you don't know where it is? Because the Liberator... Granted, there are flaws. Yeah, because <laughs> the Liberator's long gone by that point. I, I'm guessing Chris Boucher will write some kind of three-minute-long explanation about <laughs> how, how it would work. Sure, that's that's fine. I'll, I'll let that go. It, it, I mean, it, it's not a deal-breaker for an episode. But, yeah, I mean, there are... I mean, there's so many other things that managed to be deal-breakers for this episode. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's a bad episode. I mean, no, um, it's not the web. Oh, no, it's not the web. Oh, by the way, um, uh, something I mentioned on the Geek Planet forums, uh, again, for Mr. Mitchell McCann... Uh, the web's still <laughs> shit, apparently. <laughs> I've seen that thread. In fact, yes, there's, there is a thread now on the Geek Planet forums called "Is the web still shit?" So, if it, <laughs> as we're carrying on, we're, we're going to be checking into that thread every so often. If anybody wants to watch the web just to confirm that it is still shit, uh, we'll we'll be giving you regular updates as the podcast continues. Because <laughs> Byron Pitt wandered in there, going, "You what?" <laughs> <laughs> It's just a running joke. <laughs> you've, warning, you've stumbled upon a running gag. <laughs> yeah, well, he'll just have to start listening to the podcast, though, won't he? Yes. <laughs> On, oh, actually, no, wait, he's Geek Planet staff. That's one more for you. <laughs> Never mind. Yes. But, yeah, it's not really a huge... I don't really got a huge amount more to say about this, really. It's it's kind it's kind of like a Liberator Lights kind of episode. Yeah, it's, really. it feels like a bit. Of, I mean, oh, the best way of putting it. I mean, if anything, the Liberator crew just stumble on what is essentially the Federation trying to put their house in order after like a, a would-be defection goes awry. Although that although his defection was all part of the plan, wasn't it? Um. It was certainly predicted by Carnell. Yes, because he's awesome. Yeah. I think they they were going to implicate 
Blake within it, but I don't think they were quite prepared for Blake to show up, were they? Well, no, because the whole point of getting them to run a- to run away after they've tackled with Imipak was to make everybody think that Blake had Imipak. Yeah. And so Servalan was getting, getting it scot-free. It is a very complex plan. Well, in a Chris Boucher episode. <laughs> Never. I love the fact that he's only written two episodes. <laughs> I was just I was just thinking that. I was like, hang on a minute. Perhaps I'm being a bit unfair. I mean, in all fairness to the man, he has been script editing since the first episode, so it's not like... <laughs> <laughs> but Terry Nation's story seems so much simpler. Yes, I suppose there is that. <laughs> and that's, that's not even a bad thing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, certainly not from a synopsizing point of view. <laughs> no. <laughs> But yeah, um, other than the fact that yeah, it, it, it's not a terrible episode, but it's not one of the best either. It's sort of, it's okay. It's an okay episode, yeah. Look, which probably get a couple of extra points just because Carnell's in it and he's brilliant. And I, <laughs> I, I'm not ashamed at all to say I've possibly developed a bit of a man crush. <laughs> all right, you have your man crush. I'll go crush on uh, Serverland. Yeah, well, well, yeah well, not that I'm not going to be able to crush on Serverland. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it first, young man. <laughs> yeah. Well, never mind. <laughs> well, thought, should we go to the uh, the feedback we have on this episode? Oh, it, it was for Weapon, was it? Yes. Okie dokie. So we're going to uh, Mitchell McCann's first. Uh, once again, he says, salutations, Ian and Dave. Yes. Yeah. Hey, he's still giving you emails. Yes, yeah, this is so true. Maybe this is like a nice counterbalance. I, su- I suppose so. Uh, he says, uh, my thoughts on weapon were wiped away every time Servalan leaned forward in that dress. I mean, <laughs> damn. <laughs> Back on track, I've got... <laughs> Back on track, I've got to say that this has to be my favourite episode. It played well with the notions of weaponry, the importance of life, personal freedom, and the irrationality of men when faced with a beautiful woman. The, the music that got looped in when the clone master descended the stairs was slightly annoying, and I, like Servalan, am not the biggest fan of New Travis. That said, the idea of Imapak was so cool, I, t- I can totally forgive Servalan's Bond villain Neville scheming. Not only that, we got a cool explosion to start the show off. I'm currently split on whether I liked or disliked Coz's Disco Zod outfit thing going on. Hey, <laughs> he called there it we Disco go. Zod as well. Nice. Yes. And I mean, Boogie before Zod. <laughs> <laughs> he says we're coming uh, out with all kinds of images today. <laughs> you sure are. I mean, that's a Connor, Dick Grayson, and Alan Scott would be proud of. Coz's. <laughs> Kozu is showing more chest than Rochelle is, albeit not as appealingly. In regards to her, well, apparently I have some 70s British horror movies to look up, because Ca- uh, Cadence Glenn Denning is as good-looking as Servalan is. Uh, this episode checked off all the good sci-fi boxes. I'm very thankful for being turned on to this, Mitchell. Excellent. Glad you enjoyed it, Mitchell. Yes, thank you, Mitchell. In fact, I mean, because I just, like, scoured Wikipedia just to see what these people had done before. Not not to spoil the Who count or anything, but um, I looked on her Wikipedia page, 
And it must be w- one of those Wikipedia pages where the subject has written their own. Right. Because half of it is talk about how beautiful she is. Well, either that or it's from a very dedicated fan. There, there's, there's... Stroke stool. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I mean, even for, for... She's probably... One of her most famous roles is when she played the part of Rochelle in Blake 7. Uh, the beautiful slave girl Rochelle in Blake 7. And she certainly looks nice in this episode, but, you know, she her character wasn't there specifically to be eye candy. Absolutely not, no. I mean, she was more there to be, like, the timid, freed slave who just gets abused by her former master. Yeah. And, to be fair, I mean, she's competing against Serverland. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a battle she's going to win. No. No, it's not. <laughs> okay, so, uh, should we go on to our uh, piece of audio feedback, then? Oh, absolutely. Okay, well, we have some more, more feedback from the lovely Peter and Anne-Marie who are going to give us their thoughts on weapons. So uh, let's hear what they have to say. Hello. Hello. It's Amory and Peter. Or Peter and Amory. Depending on which way you want to do it. We've got some feedback for Weapon. Yes. Which begins with... Abu! False Travis. Simon Le Bon. <laughs> He starts and he poses and he does. He looks like something like Duran Duran with the hair as well. And oh, yeah. oh. And then he just talks like a bad actor from EastEnders. Everything has to be shattered! Compared to previous Travis, it's just woeful. They, they, oh, they couldn't have found a worse actor. Shouty, shouty Travis. No, they could have found a worse actor. Graham Crowden. <laughs> Graham Crowden, <laughs> Travis. Please! Yeah, okay. (laughs) But that's another tale. We have a very strange beginning, not only because it's got fake Travis, but there's that weird organ music. Yeah. And sort of heavenly choir business going on. (laughs) Yeah, and the the, the strange woman, isn't it? Very strange woman, yes. With um, eye makeup worse than I had in my hippie face. Yes. And then we have Travis zapping fake Blake. Yep. Fake Travis zapping fake Fake Blake. Blake. Yeah. And, um, yeah, no no dignity or intelligence, really, sadly, with this one. Uh, there's another good bunch of Avon lines in this one. Yes. I rather like Carnell as a character. Yes, I liked him. He was entertaining and intriguing. And yeah. the sort of person that, although he's a baddie, and you know he's a baddie, he's interesting enough that you don't, at the end, you don't want him to just be dead. Yeah. You don't want you want him to survive another day, although I mean, as he said himself, you know, as a strategist, he really should have foreseen Serverland <laughs> not paying him. Yeah, he'd be one of those characters that he'd constantly have to be getting it wrong, otherwise Blake would lose, mm. and the series would end. So therefore, yes, um, nicely slimy though I thought. Yes. Um, and when he calls um, Serverland sexy at the end, that's oh. quite nice, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I like that. <laughs> Now, we also have um, for somebody for the Who Count in this one, don't we? With a chap from Talons of Wang Chang. Yes. Chang himself. And at one point, you do wonder whether he's brought his big rat with him. Yeah, it <laughs> it's turns a squeaky out... sound. Oh, and then they're cowering, and you're like, oh no, and it turns out to be a big claw. It's a claw, a claw! Oh. But actually, that's, that's much better than some of the previous monsters they've had. I think yeah. they did a wise thing there, just having the claw. 
Yeah. But the only other thing I, I made a note of worth commenting about was the fact that Imipac does sound like a feminine hygiene product. It does. <laughs> it, it, I use Imipac every yeah. day. And I'm never worried about those feminine itches. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ew. We better stop there then. <laughs> did we like it though? I thought it was quite good myself. I did like it, but it would have been so much better with the real Travis in it. Yes, it would have been miles, miles better. And, and I'm afraid that's going to be a reoccurring theme, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But there we go. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> we got to see Serverland. We did. Serverland um, is good. And, and Serverland appears, I think, more often now to try and make up for second-rate Travis. Okay, folks. Um, loved the last podcast, by the way. Very, very entertaining. I was sniggering into my beer, so great yes. stuff. Yes, I was spluttering on mine. <laughs> Bye, Z. Bye. Well, thank you for that, Peter and Anne-Marie. Uh, glad you enjoyed the episode. No preempting the Who Counts. Never. Never preempt <laughs> the Who Counts. <laughs> I, I just like the fact I get a musical education, like, half the time they send in audio feedback. <laughs> I mean, to think, I, before this podcast, I lived in a world where I'd never heard Avalon by Brian Ferry. <laughs> and now I get one of... I've, I've, because I've got, because I am a former student DJ, so very cool and everything. I've got the best <laughs> of Duran Duran. I've got the best of Duran Duran. I, I didn't immediately recognise that song, so uh, there's that. <laughs> We're giving you an education, young'un. <laughs> In fact, early, early, earlier this week on uh, Twitter, we were uh, having a slight chat about Huey Lewis and the news. Yes, so. <laughs> and, and the awesomeness contained therein. Oh, indeed. indeed. I've lost all my student radio credits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I don't think that's, uh, that's all the news that's fit to print regarding uh, Weapon. So, mm. shall, we, shall we move on to the next episode? Righty-o. The freighter's present course will take it into Zone 9 in four hours at present speed. Where in Zone 9? The freighter is on course for the only habitable planet in Zone 9. Which is? Code named Horizon. Horizon? Code named by whom? Data was obtained via Federation cipher. Data also suggests that it is visited annually by a Federation supply freighter. Carrying what? There is no information. What are the surface conditions on Horizon? Negative information. Population? Negative information. Well, is there any information on Horizon? Negative. Well, is the information on Horizon classified? Negative information. Well, that was a whole lot of nothing. Course, please. Maintain present course. If you insist. You're not going to follow the freighter all the way to Horizon. Why not? I'm curious. Oh, you are curious. Well, I'm glad we have a worthwhile purpose. Doesn't it interest you a little? No. There's nothing out there. We are on the edge. Even Zen has nothing on it. That could mean anything. An experimental war zone, anything. That freighter's gone to Horizon for some good reason. Which is more than you can say for us. So, our next episode is Horizon. 
Mr. Wilson, take it away. <coughs> mm-hmm. Right, we start off Horizon with an exterior shot of uh, a spaceship um, that bizarrely has <laughs> images of Jenner and Villa's faces projected over it, um, which is never explained, but regardless. Um, we then get on board for Liberator Crew. It turns out everyone's actually sick. Uh, Blake has headaches, Villa has stomach cramps, amusingly, and Avon has back pains. And uh, Kelly's prognosis is that they're all fatigued from being rebels. See, I'm, I'm not convinced. I still think Avon's injury is speed mincing related. <laughs> Had to get that in there. Um, also, I, I think Blake's headaches might come from his costume because he's back in that ridiculous parachute tunic. Well, he was wearing uh, the big sleeves in the previous episode as well. and He just seems to be favouring enormous sleeves at the minute. <laughs> oh, and Avon's back in his foil jacket as well. Hey! Well, <laughs> You've got to love a bit of silver alarm, eh? Yeah. And, and Villa is apparently dressed as a canary. <laughs> he is. He is. Um, in any case, um, it turns out the Liberator is right on the edges of space. It's uh, uh, about... It's interested in crossing into Zone 9 because uh, Zen has picked up the fact that the Federation freighter um, is heading there, and supposedly... You have to be careful crossing over into Zone 9, there's an extra quid on your oyster card. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't live in the South, so, yeah, I don't care. It's a little London <laughs> underground humour there for you, ladies and gents. <laughs> the big book of London underground jokes. <laughs> Page one, chapter one. <laughs> Sorry, I'm... I'm, I'm Massively sidetracking the synopsis, I do apologise. That's alright, that's alright. Uh, yes, so, uh, uh, this comes as news to Blake's crew, because supposedly the Federation don't really have a presence in Zone 9, just because it's too far away from the main base of operations. Um, so it turns out they're heading towards uh, a planet called Horizon, and Blake says, right, let's follow them. And the crew's too sick and weary, and they're like, oh, do we have to... And he's like, yes, let us venture forward through those end of 70s, early 80s effects as uh, the Liberator travels through some kind of magnetic fields, which um, they weren't really prepared for. In fact, if it weren't for the Liberator's defences, it probably would have destroyed the ship. As Villa suffers it from it the most, so Callie effectively... <laughs> just drugs him to knock him out. And uh, we see Villa has quite a taste for drugs for the rest of the episode. Um, like it was ever in doubt. Like it was ever in... What, what, do you remember what it was called? Uh, Soma. Soma. It's a, it, it's a mix of adrenaline and Soma. <laughs> um, so once they hover around Horizon, Blake tells his crew, look, I tell you what, why don't we see if Horizon works as some kind of resort so we can recharge our batteries and then perhaps use it as a base of operations against the Federation? Because, you know, for, for the amount of time we've been together, we haven't really been able to fa- <laughs> found a rebel planet of our own. 
So Avon, as usual, is reluctant. <laughs> Blake decides, look, uh, me and Jenna will go down. Callie volunteers. I can't quite remember why, but uh, she volunteers. But Blake says, no, it has to be Jenna. So as uh, they prepare for teleportation, Jenna says, well, why me? <laughs> Blake as much as says, well, uh, Avon's less, less likely to ditch just if the only... <laughs> proper pilot of the Liberator is uh, down on the surface. So um, they uh, are teleported down and immediately get spotted by some kind of humming surveillance cameras that rise up out of plant stalks. And uh, they're observed by uh, the commander of the planet, a, a chap called Roe, who is surprised to see them there and has them captured. Meanwhile, because they have been captured, uh, Gan wants to go after them because uh, Callie's also got a feeling that uh, there are problems. And Avon's like, well, I'm not going down. And Phyllis says, <laughs> why not? To which Avon has like a, a very catty put-down. Uh, it's like, I'm not expendable, kind of motioning at Villa. I'm not stupid, motioning at Gan, and I'm not going, motioning at Callie. Um, Can I just interrupt you there quickly? Um, yep. There's going to be a bit of plugging, but uh, the Babylon Project's interview with J. Michael Straczynski, they actually talked to him about uh, British shows, and he's a big Blake 7 fan, and he actually, right. he actually quotes that line in the interview. Does he? Yes. Uh, he actually... Yeah, I've not quite had a chance to listen to it yet, but um, do, does he bring it up during the interview? Yes, yeah. During the interview, he actually like, quotes that line. He says he loves Blake Seven, and he said he he said uh, Paul Darrow was very good at smiling at the wrong moment. <laughs> That's true enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so I, I, I just needed to mention that because it's it's awesome that he he, he likes that. And, and when I heard the interview and he said that line, I was like, we're covering that episode next. Yes, yeah. I, I, I got quite excited. Did, did the hosts follow up by saying, well, Jay, Jay Mike, um, you know, there's <laughs> this podcast we produce, or did they just hurry on to the next thing? Uh, they, they possibly just hurried on to the next thing. Oh, well, I, I'm not going to listen. But uh, either way, <laughs> either way, just Same self-promotion. <laughs> Apologise for interrupting there, but when I heard that, I just thought it was, it was very cool, and I thought I'd, I'd better mention that. That's fair. Uh, I think it's worthy of bringing up. Okay. Right. So, um, Ro is having Blake and Jenna interrogated using uh, some kind of torture techniques, but, uh, you know, Blake shows his experience in withstanding for as long as possible, whereas Jenna just kind of succumbs because it's not something she's really had to deal with before. Um and Roe is joined by um, his superior, the guy who kind of, um, I'm guessing, trained him or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, the uh, commissar. And also there is, I'm guessing he's the assistant commissar. Yes. I say guessing, I'm reading off Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> and uh, he... Uh, because he's apparently been stuck on this planet that the Federation have named Horizon, even though that's not 
technically the planet's original name. And um, they're talking behind Rose back, saying, oh, production is down under his leadership. And the commissar insists, no, no, he's, you know, he's our puppet. He'll do whatever we say, so don't worry about it. So, (laughs) as this is going on, uh, Gannon Villa formed the next rescue party. And almost immediately, uh, Villa gets shot in the chest with a blow dart. As does Gan, although it takes two darts to knock Gan down, which kind of panics <laughs> the kind of guards-slash-workers uh, that are on there. And Gan is then kind of just, like, chained to a rock, like, for, for the next, I don't know, half of the episode. Well, pretty much uh, the rest of the episode. I think you thought they managed to wake him up in the last ten yeah. minutes. But yeah. Oh, right. So, um, essentially, following this news, um, Blake kind of manipulates uh, Roe in front of his Federation of officials, um, kind of playing on a kind of supposed fear or doubt about the Federation having the best of intentions for the planet, and uh, the Commissar um, tries to dissuade his influence as much as possible, but you can tell that Blake's kind of got to roam, in a way. And um, we find out the reason Blake is able to manipulate Roe because it just so happens that a good friend of Roe's was on the London prisoner ship that they were... <laughs> on board for Cygnus Alpha in the very first few episodes of the programme. Again, kind of like Gan and Avon, um, they do suddenly appear for convenience's sake, despite not being in like, the first episode. But... It seems there was a lot of that sort of thing going on aboard the London. <laughs> I don't want to know what gets on on board the London. <laughs> Although it, it's kind of implied that he is one of the people that um, Raker shoots. Yes. And then Blake goes on to detail how his dead body was just chucked out into the nothingness of space. And Rose like, the Federation wouldn't do that. Not, not to a friend of mine. And um, apparently this friend also implied that uh, the Federation also had his father killed as well. <laughs> so um, the, the Commissar is clearly a bit worried that the truth might come out, but not so much that he can't take control of the situation. Either way, so um, Blake, Jenner and Villa are sent to work down the mines to the particular discomfort of Villa, who is noted as having never worked a day in his life. <laughs> and down there they actually get to meet uh, the former fiancé of Roe, he called Selma. And it's not the fault of Blake Seven whatsoever, but it's, it's just that years later... There'd be a, a film called... Well, there'd be The Simpsons, and Selma was the name of one of the characters. So <laughs> so it was interesting hearing the character name in the late 70s. Either way, that's an aside. And um, apparently, Rose's fiance Selma, is just as <laughs> fed up with the Federation and has been trying to make Rose see this. But, um, you know, he's... He's, at the moment, invested too much trust in the Federation. As this is going on, on board the Liberator, Avon is more and more 
aware that he's starting to lose people left, right, and centre. I mean, of the humans on board, it's just him and Callie left. So he suggests to Callie that they make a run for it. Not necessarily in the typical <laughs> uh, way that they do on film. It's like, you and I yeah. could run away together and <laughs> on a romantic voyage beyond the stars. Essentially, Callie's like, no, I, I really want to go down there uh, <laughs> to it. So Callie gets teleported down. She also gets captured. But um, once she is captured, she puts her telepathic ability to good use because she reads minds, which it's now been established that she can do in this season. And uh, she can <laughs> she reads the commissar's minds just to say, ah, yes, yeah, so you did kill this young man's father. And he's like, preposterous. <laughs> and she says, wasn't his name Vic? She had got uh, information, or I could found more information, hadn't he? Because that, that's why Callie wanted to teleport down, because they had information on the executions. Oh, right. But I think that is how she knows that... The, um, that well, I think that's how she knows that Rose's dad was killed. And yeah. I think it's then that she senses from the commissar that he was the one who did it. Yes, because um, later on when his assistant's saying, well, how on earth should she know that? And he's like, oh, she must have just read the file. <laughs> it's all on file that he's just done this. <laughs> and Rose too thick or clueless to actually find it out. Well, in all fairness, you, you've got to restrict access to a file of that. Yes. Can we that just make true. sure that the, the, the file that says we killed his dad, he can't get into? Is that all <laughs> possible, please? Yeah. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, so, although Kelly does use her telepathy, um, having you know, planted even more seeds of doubt into Rose's mind, she then speaks into his mind and says, look, <laughs> you, you can't trust this guy at all. The commissar, when chatting to his assistant, says, oh, I've known it was Blake and his crew all along. They're like the most famous fugitives in the, in the galaxy. As much as that, if, if Rose does start to present more kind of uh, signs of potential defiance, but he'll just kill him. <laughs> As you do. What happens here, from here, is that in trying to take control of the situation, Roe calls for his former fiancé to be brought out of the labour mines, and he's decided, right, she's got to be my partner again. I mean, the commissar is voicing grave doubts, but he's like, no, it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> Trying to rebel as best he can. And um, as this happens, I mean, Blake seemingly gives himself up to say, look, it's clear what your intentions are. If you take me into custody, you know, just at least let the rest of my crew and the ship go off. And Roe actually rejects this request and sends him back to the mines. Um, whether it's a play or not, we don't know. But, um, whilst this is going on, Liber on board the Liberator, Avon <laughs> is, is, is seemingly possessed in <laughs> because he's lost everyone. He's, he's really not all that confident of going down onto the surface. So, so he asked Orak, to what extent could you and I pilot the Liberator so that we were constantly on the move and could avoid Federation patrol ships for, you know, endless amounts of years. And um, 
he seemingly lost in a reverie, but then composes himself and says, shut up, Orak. And uh, eventually, it, it's not until the Liberator intercepts uh, a message from the Commissar that notes he intends to have Rogue killed and Liberator blown up. Three ships relay that message, although they're unable to relay it back to HQ. Um, upon hearing it's three ships in which uh, Orak has projected that they could probably outrun... <laughs> Going back to what J. Michael Straczynski said, Avon laughs at, <laughs> at the impending doom befalling him or his potential escape plan. Whatever it is, he beams down. He blows up all the camera stalks so he's not detected uh, with the aid of some kind of device he's brought with him. He then kills four guards and nearly shoots Blake which uh, Blake Riley notes as they meet. And Roe tells his fiancée to get out of there because thing, things were about to go down. Um, the Liberator crew... I'm, I'm guessing Avon has brought down uh, bracelets because um, the rest of the crew on the surface of the planet have had them removed uh, by... Roe did say that they were all being kept in the mine because when Selma said, "Try to get, why don't you try to get hold of the crew? You can use their communicators." She wants them to try to get hold of the ship. Yeah. Roe says, I, "I haven't got them. They're all down in the mine." So I'm assuming that their stuff is all just there from when they were captured. So they could have got this at any time. Well, presumably the guards were guarding it before, sort of, you know, Avon. Oh, shot. before, right? Okay. Well, that makes more sense. Although that now throws my bracelet count protection right out the window. Yeah, well, because when, when I first saw them getting captured and they were taking the bracelets off, I was kind of wondering if that was a bracelet count, but at the end, I don't think it is. I think they're, they're, they're just picking up their stuff from where it was left, rather than... Because Avon didn't have anything with him, did he? He didn't, like, have a bag of stuff. No, I, I suppose not. He had his gun in one hand, and then he had that detector in the other. Because they, they pick up all of their guns as well, don't they? Yes. So I can, I can only assume that that's all the stuff that they came down to the surface with... And they've, they've just picked it back up again. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense then. They've been back up to the Liberator. Blake pesters Avon to hurry up to try and get, get the teleporter working again. Once the Commissar um, kind of. Well, actually, no, before that happens, uh, Roe decides he's going to pledge allegiance to the Federation after the Commissar has caught. Selma, um, trying to escape in order to be tortured. Um, Roe is about to coldly just pledge allegiance despite this, whereas the commissar goes, oh, that's good. I wouldn't have wanted to have had you killed. And he's utterly shocked with, you were going to do that? And the commissar says, yeah, but it doesn't matter now, does it? Um, so Roe's response is to go away uh, go back and dress in the uh, what I can only assume is the traditional garb of that planet, and uh, Blake teleports back down. Uh, Blake kills the assistant commissar, whereas uh, Roe blows up the commissar fatally <laughs> with his pathetic death speech. I thought you were one of us, and uh, Roe and Blake bid each other farewell. Blake plays chicken with the Federation pursuit ships that suddenly blow up. I'm guessing it's due to the magnetic field again. Yes. And um, 
that has actually left Avon speechless <laughs> uh, because uh, he's impressed that Plake's hunch actually managed to work. Um, so they wander off. Right. Uh, what did you think of this, Mr. Provence? Uh, well, this is one of the episodes I've had for a long time on video, so I, I have seen it a fair few times. Um, mm-hmm. Watching it again this time, I, I think there is some brilliant stuff here, but there's also some flawed stuff. I think the okay. I think the Avon stuff is brilliant. Yes. The fact that yeah, the Avon basically decides, like, you know, everybody else is... Every, he just assumes they're dead. It's like, they've teleported down, we've lost contact with them, they're dead. We, and I'm not going down to look for them, because I'll get killed as well. And then once, Callie, once he loses contact with Callie, he's just like, right, well, I'm off. <laughs> and then, yeah, like you say, he does get sort of properly lost in the moment. And he said like he, you know, he doesn't need anybody, and he's in essence right because you know he has the most powerful ship in the Federation. He has you know a, two supercomputers, and he, you know he's got a ship with a regenerating power source and food to last for a thousand years. If he just yes. buggers off now, he's set. He's fine. And we get our new show. Avon's too. <laughs> yes, it's Avon and it's a rassable fish tag sidekick. Oh, then maybe it would be Avon's three. <laughs> Zen is first of the, Zen's first of the seven. Yes, yes. So, uh, does Orac count in the show's numbering then? Opinion is divided on the subject. Because, I mean, is it, <laughs> this is going to rather insulting analogy, which I don't mean for it to be, but uh, S-Club 7 uh, their entire <laughs> identity was compromised after one of, I don't know which one, uh, left and they had to rename themselves as S-Club because they were no longer a 7 <laughs> oh I don't believe God. that comparison has ever been made before oh. No, I really don't think anyone has put Blake 7 and S Club 7 in the same bracket before. And especially not compared memberships. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you drag along a new in this kind of thing. <laughs> sort of make, makes you wonder, who, who's the Avon of S Club 7? Uh, <laughs> again, it would be so much easier if I actually knew who anyone in S Club 7 <laughs> Oh, like I know, with your, yeah. your dad and kids and your music. <laughs> with me, Huey Lewis and... <laughs> Duran Duran. Duran Duran. You've got um, your, the pulse of the music, haven't you? <laughs> but, I mean, uh, the, the serious point within that spurious analogy yeah. would be, um, you know, uh, obvi- obviously, they, Blake Seven refers to the original main cast as, like, the first season panned out. Yeah. And then the main cast goes on to fluctuate. Yes. So does it generally stay at seven? And if so, is Aurac included? Uh, it depends who's about and if the numbers need fudging, basically. Right. <laughs> if you need Aurac to make up the numbers, then yes. <laughs> Essentially. I see. <laughs> to be fair, this is a show which at one point did without Blake, so <laughs> getting the number wrong was the least of its problems. Oh, yeah, I hear it did without Blake for quite a few episodes. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, that, that being what it may. Um, 
Okay, so... <laughs> okay, I, I mean, in fairness, I mean, Avon's 3 would be a bit of a boring show if it's just Paul Darrow shouting at a fish tank for 50 minutes. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Although, now I've actually said those words out loud. <laughs> I think you realise the error of your ways. So come and see Paul Darrow's one-man show. Avon's <laughs> 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 three. One man and a fish tank. <laughs> oh, oh, the new Big Finish audio drama. <laughs> Oh, that's what it's going to be, isn't it? <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be... No, it wouldn't. No. But again, as soon as I say it out loud, <laughs> the brain kicks in. Are you listening, Big Finish? You've got two guaranteed sales right here if you choose to do that. <laughs> Although, in, I mean, in fairness, I mean, it was a lot more of a crew-centric piece, and every, every character kind of had their moment, apart from maybe Gan. I mean, he has the awesome hard man moment of taking two darts to actually put down, but then spends the rest of the episode asleep. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, when your one moment is about five seconds long, re-establishing the fact that, yes, Gan is this hard, and he doesn't go down like, well, <laughs> obviously no one goes down like Villa, but, um, you know, he's he's a, a a lot tougher than most people. So when he does get captured, it should be that much more impressive. Except he seems to get captured quite a lot. <laughs> Especially when he's standing in corridors waving a gun around, trying to look inconspicuous. Every episode of this season so far, he's been disarmed and captured in some way. <laughs> and a couple of episodes of last season as well. Oh, yeah, well, yes, quite a, a few there. But it's just... The fact it happens four episodes in a row. Here. <laughs> well, you've got he to disarm to... him because he can't punch anything then. But you could at least give him some dialogue. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a bit criminally sidelined in this episode, really. Yeah. He's just a chain to a rock and left alone. <laughs> it was very, he were Prometheus. I was going to say, what a great day filming that must have been for David Jackson. He's like, he, he films one scene and spends the rest of the time pretending to be asleep on a rock. <laughs> so money in the bank. Money for old rope. Oh, what a sweet gig this is. With the episode in general, I mean, obviously it's a massive allegory for British colonialism in places like India. Yes. Yes. Helped by the ethnicity of Rowan Selma. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that really hammers the point home, doesn't it? Hmm. I kind of have an issue with the way the Federation's plan works, because the whole point of, the whole reason that Horizon exists and why the Federation are there is because it's one of the two planets which contains a rare element called a Monopasium 239, which the Federation want to use as a fuel supply to power new starships. That's why it's called Horizon, because it's going to be the horizon of, you know, more exploration into the galaxy from ships powered by Monopasium 239. Yes, I did kind of sidestep that part. <laughs> to be honest, it, it, it's not massively important to the plot, specifically. No. But um, my my issue with it is, if Monopasium 239 is pretty important to the Federation, and considering the sort of resources that the Federation has at its disposal, wouldn't it be better to you know, have a proper mining facility with, you know, trained miners 
rather than a bunch of people in sort of animal skins chipping away with flint axes. And if they so valued the planet as much as they did, why did they only visit it once a year? I mean, clearly there's this whole thing of they're trying to sort of give Roe the illusion of autonomy or whatever, but I don't kind of get why they're making this exception with Horizon where, you know, as we've seen in the past, most other places the Federation just walks in, kills everybody and leaves again. Yeah. And I don't know why they wouldn't do the same thing on Horizon. because they didn't send Travis then, did they? Yeah. (laughs) Or perhaps he can't do that anymore. (laughs) They've emasculated Travis. Yeah, I mean, I can quite see the, like, if they want to sort of have expendable labour mining this radioactive substance, like use it as like a penal colony or something, you know, they could have had like another Cygnus Alpha, send prisoners out there to mine the ore. It just seems far too complicated a plan for the Federation to take this guy away, train him up, make him a puppet ruler of these people and get them chipping away with sort of crappy tools to get this really important element that they want. Because, you know, I mean, Horizon is so important, but it's very top secret. There's no information about it. I mean, like, when Zen try, uh, is telling them about the planet, he has virtually no information on it at all. Oh, yeah. Now, what's that line? Um, Villa, in reaction to every answer Zen giving being negative, 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 Villa has, well, that was a whole load of nothing. <laughs> I, 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 Villa got his moments <laughs> in this episode. Yes. I mean, not not loads, but um, it, was, it was interesting seeing his comedy face of after, well, after like the dosing out on drugs. Uh, he then decided, "What me down a mine? Oh God!" And um, you then get the kind of dusky outline of uh, the bare-chested Blake and Fleur doing the work, whereas Jenna is in full clothing. <laughs> Much to my eternal disappointment. <laughs> just in like a... And was it just me, or was the mine seemingly... Was there only one guard actually in the mine at one time? Because I know we see Avon kill four of them as he gets there, but it doesn't seem to be heavily manned. No, but I suppose that's possibly a lack of extras. I, I imagine the four guards you see getting killed is going to be like yeah, the same guy getting shot <laughs> four times. Oh, no, I, I agree. I'm just thinking that, I mean, if they, if they were playing... I mean, Blake surely would have played the numbers game and just, like, had a minor rise up. I suppose narratively, because this stuff they're mining for is very radioactive, then presumably the, the people, like the guards at the mine, would want to limit their exposure. So they would only go in sort of when they had to, or just do like a quick patrol and get out again, sort of thing. Right. Would be my way of rationalising it. Okay. Yeah. If Chris Boucher was writing this episode. Yes, there'd, there'd be a, you know, even less explanation. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, again, this is uh, another new writer. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Adam Pryor. And w- would he go on to do more? Or? Yeah, he, he he will do some more. Yes. Okay. Bit of a Blake, not terribly toned. <laughs> They're not the most athletic men you've ever seen with their shirts off. They are quite hirsute, though. Yes. I mean, there is that bit where sort of Blake sort of takes charge of the... Because uh, they bring out some I don't know, some random porridge to uh, feed the workers in a big bowl. 
and there's a bit of a oh, feeding yeah. frenzy, and then Blake's just like, right, back off, I'll organise this, I'm taking charge, this is what I do. Mm. And so it's like, organises like a, a feeding rotor, basically, and sort of, <laughs> sort of becomes the de facto leader through the medium of shouting. <laughs> Does that surprise you? No. <laughs> Rose quite an interesting character. He is. His relationship with the commissar I thought was quite quite nicely played. I mean, especially when you place it in its allegorical context. Yes. Because, um, I mean, I think it was around this time that they were starting to make the big uh, dramas about actually the British Empire was a bit bad, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> we're actually a shower of bastards. Yeah. What was the one that Malik was in? Oh, uh, Passage From... to India. No, or uh, Jewel of the Crown. Jewel in the Crown. That was, that, was, that was early 80s, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it was. I mean, I, I suppose, going back to what I said, I'm not really getting the Federation's plan here, is because I mean, it is very allegorical to what the British Empire were doing in the, that kind of area, in the areas of, sort of places like India and, and what we now know as Pakistan and all around those sort of areas sort of during their occupations of those sorts of times. And yes, they were sort of sorting out sort of puppet rulers and uh, trying to get in with the natives and stuff. But I think in the hurry to make the allegory, it doesn't fit with how the Federation has operated up till now. Yeah, I, I had a bit of a problem with the Commissar. How so? Well, I... <laughs> Here we go, me, me, me talking about the Federation being two-dimensional evil. Um, that guy was two-dimensional evil. <laughs> oh, very much so, yeah. I mean, he, he was a little bit of a, of a, a pompous sort of moustache twirler. Yeah. I mean, Roe was given... Perhaps the reason was that they wanted to give the kind of layered character to the the Roe figure, the, the oppressed figure, rather than the oppressor. Yeah. And the fact that he has, like, this crisis of conscience throughout. Um, yeah. And he's just, like, changing his mind on... But he, he, I mean, he's clearly not really cut out to be a ruler. Or if he is, not one underneath the Federation umbrella. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I think, yeah, he, I mean, I think he shows by the end of the episode he's got the stones to be a ruler, just not a ruler under the Federation. Because, like, I mean, if, doing, doing, things that the, doing things the Federation way make him nervous. If anything, his girlfriend proves to be a far better <laughs> ruler than, than he does. But, or, or someone he just w- will be assertive as opposed to you know, her partner, who's a bit more unsure of himself and just kind of going along with things right up until the end. I do like that line that Jenna has when she talks to Rose. She says, are you scared of the Federation? And Rose says, no. And she says, well, then you must be a part of it. Mm, yes. Because that does sort of you know, like show the kind of sort of level of penetration of the Federation. Like, if you're not scared of it, you're a part of it. Well, yeah, that was the thing. I mean, during that initial bout of interrogation, Come and say, ooh, resistors! I've never seen resistors before. I'd heard of them, but because we know he actually knows who it is, yeah. but um, he, he's just playing along, and Blake is just going, yes, I, I, I don't care much for the Federation, me. <laughs> Having said that, I mean, like the commissar rather astutely observes that uh, Blake doesn't particularly give a shit about Jedi's circumstances. When he says that, you know, yeah. Like, 
he's, he's going to yeah. sort of start torturing her again, and it's like, yeah, he's going to make there's going to be sort of extensive and permanent damage to her, and he just sort of looks at him and goes, "Oh, you don't care, I see. Fair enough." I think he's on the money. Blake doesn't really give a shit whether Jenna lives or dies because I mean, all the time he's um she's being tortured, instead of actually worrying about or being angry about what's being done to her, he's trying to coach her in how to deceive the Federation and not tell them anything. He's more interested in Jenna not talking than he is in in her well-being. I think that's that's one of either two things. Either it's inconsistent writing, or more likely, it's the fact that when he's on a mission, or when he's on a planet, or confronting the Federation, his kind of um, fervour takes hold, and his need to be a figure of opposition kind of does that, because I, I mean, we've seen a lot of moments on the Federation where Blake... On, on the Liberator, where um, Blake and Jenna have had quite a warm relationship. I yeah. mean, if you think back to Duel, you know, who was who was picked as Blake's friend, Jenna. And, yeah. you know, when it looked like Jenna had betrayed the Liberator crew to the Shake Bandits, you know, who truly believed that she hadn't quite turned when, when everyone else had it was him so essentially I think it's just because he's in the face of this federation person and at their mercy that he's trying not to show compassion and trying to make up a new plan on the hop the, the point is conceded sir <laughs> sorry I have to ramble to get my point across oh, no, no, that's but, fine I, I, yeah, I, I I, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are times when my my anti-Blake further at times sort of gets the better <laughs> gets the better of my reasoning. So yes, I I, I think you're. I, I agree with. You. I think you're actually on the money I, on that one. I, I can actually see what you mean because I think that I mean Blake being the kind of person he is, he doesn't show his friendship all the time. I mean, it's there in glimpses. I mean, if you think about breakdown the entire thing is about saving Gan's life. And then they have that very cheesy, chummy laugh-along right at the end of the episode with everyone except David. I think Blake might possibly sacrifice Avon in that way, just because of all the people on board sees him as a threat or being clever enough to, you know, usurp him. But... Yes. In general, I think I think Jenna would be on the safe side. I think you're right. Okay. <laughs> Again, sorry for rambling. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I, I think the the, uh, the other interesting aspect of this episode is, I mean, at the start, we had seen what being a resistance fighter and living the kind of life they're doing is doing to them, you know. In terms of, like, uh, narratively, it seems that, you know, between each episode there's not been much sort of downtime and it started to take its toll on the crew. Which I think is a nice touch to show that, you know, like, if you're constantly under stress and just, you know, calling on all your reserves and, you know, fighting and escaping and getting tortured and all this sort of thing, it's going to end up sort of having an adverse effect on your health. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's fair. Um, because, I mean, they could be having more adventures between the actual episodes that we're watching, you know, which is, again, going back to Big Finish, that's kind of how they weave in, like, 
Doctor Who stories that weren't on television or yes. things like that. Whereas, you know, the Blake 7, the Liberator crew could have had loads of adventures that we're just not seeing televised. Uh, to the extent that the last time we saw them try and have some downtime that was unrelated to a mission was uh, the beginning of Duel, when they thought they'd shaken everyone. And in fact, they, they just walked right into a trap set by Travis. Yeah. The true Travis. <laughs> the one true Travis. True Travis versus cosplay Travis. <laughs> <laughs> Who will win? Well, obviously, true Travis. But, yes, obviously. <laughs> I know. I, I just kind of like the idea because in a lot of shows where like yeah, the heroes are constantly on the run, other than the sort of week to week peril, you don't actually see like you know, the cumulative effects of what that kind of lifestyle can do to you. Mm, yeah. Although it does sort of irritate me that at the end of the episode, Rose says to him like, "Oh yes, while I'm leader, you will always be welcome on Horizon." And, and so, so basically, Blake has his base, <laughs> and yet gets to deliberate and just buggers off. Is that hang on a minute? Rose just told you that the rest of the Federation Guards are dying. The other Federation Guards are uh, coming for them. Park up. Stay there for a bit. Get some, I'm sure they've got some lovely sort of jungle springs they can swim in. Probably got <laughs> no, it'd be like Club Tropicana down there. The drinks would be free. They owe you. Not <laughs> in the sunshine. There's enough for everyone. <laughs> George Michael in space. Uh. <laughs> I, th- I mean, I suppose if you were trying to explain that away, I think perhaps Blake's looking for his base uh, rather than Rose. And again, if we're setting it against the allegory, um, <laughs> but, you know, n- now that they've got rid of the kind of British Empire figure, do they want to like come swan in and use this as like a focal point of attack for the Federation? Well, I mean, not necessarily actually use it as a base, but they've, you know, it's clearly a place where they could rest up for a while. Yeah. And just, yeah, just sort of kick back and recover. Yeah, that's fair and enough. Like, no, everyone, back to the ship, back to the ship, we're going, we're leaving. <laughs> Things to do, people to see, off we go. In that case, they're going to be exhausted for the next episode. <laughs> Trapped in the jungle. I, I'm a Federation resistor, get me out of here. <laughs> Anton Deck hosting... Like, a couple of chirpy Geordie Federation guards. Who's going to be doing the bush? bush? <laughs> I can't say that with, uh, without doing like a cod Geordie accent. Bush Tucker trial. Doing the Bush Tucker trial. Yeah, and I live in Newcastle. I'm surrounded by Geordies, and even <laughs> then, I'm not com. <laughs> My mum's family are Geordies, and even then, I'm not confident to <laughs> enough to attempt an accent. Villa Resnor, can you eat this kangaroo's bollock? <laughs> For that reason. Uh, but I, <laughs> just like the idea that people would force uh, Avon to like uh, <laughs> just lie in a coffin with insects. Actually, I'm now just picturing that. I'm just to get me out of here until like an actor shows up and executes everybody involved and frees all the celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> just shows up out of nowhere and guns everyone down. <laughs> why, why doesn't that happen? Uh, it's a pity. It's a great pity. That <laughs> I can't help but feel we're possibly off point slightly now. Well, if I'm being honest, I've run out of things to say. And likewise, I think. I think, <laughs> I think the discussion on Horizon has reached its natural close, don't you? Yeah. 
Well, in that case, let's bring on the Who Count. Croucher, who plays Cosplay Travis. Boo! Sorry. <laughs> he was uh, Borg in the Robots of Death. Uh, John Bennett, who was uh, Koza, was uh, General Finch in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Uh, but, as also mentioned by Peter and Amory earlier, he was also Lee Sen Chang in The Talents of Wen Chiang. Good, good. And also, as a little aside, he's also uh, the priest at the start of The Fifth Element. Scott Fredericks, who was awesome as Carnell... He was. <laughs> ...played uh, Boaz in Day of the Daleks and Maximilian Stale in The Image of Fendal. That is the best name I've ever heard. Yeah, I, I kind of wish that Carnell was called Maximilian Stale now, because that would have been... He looked like a Maximilian. <laughs> uh, Graham Simpson, who played uh, the officer was a hiker in Image of the Fendal. <laughs> Great role. Yeah, he doesn't last long. <laughs> really? Henry Fielder, who played a trooper, was a Krag commander in Sharda. Uh, Robert Smythe, who played a trooper, was... A, there's some big roles here. He was Ceremony Observer in Snake Dance <laughs> and Citizen in Full Circle. <laughs> Citizen? Citizen. <laughs> I hate to had an uncredited citizen. <laughs> We're into the extras here, people. And yeah. uh, Reg Turner, who also played a trooper, uh, was a foul extra in Genesis, Genesis of the Daleks. You really want to boost the Who count numbers, don't you? Well, to be honest with you, I, I've got the... Uh, since I've found that all the episodes are listed on IMDb, and they sort of tend to show sort of all the uncredited roles and stuff, which the previous website I was getting the cast information from didn't. It's actually just it's just stretching the who count out a bit more. Fair enough. So that gives us a who count of seven. Yeah, back to old times. Yes. And uh, with Horizon, uh, William Squire, who played the Commissar, was the Shadow in the Armageddon Factor. And... Uh, you have to forgive me if I get this, uh, if I pronounce this wrong, but uh, uh, Suad Fares, who played Selma, uh, played an older version of the character Rani in the Sarah Jane Adventures episode, The Mad Woman in the Attic. Oh, right. By the way, I'm counting Sarah Jane Adventures as, as, as who count. It's too good not to. It, it's canon. Yes. We've, we've, we've counted Torchwood before. Yes. And uh, Brian Miller, who was the assistant commissar, played uh, Doug Dale in Snake Dance. Uh, he was a Dalek voice in Resurrection of the Daleks and, Re and Remembrance of the Daleks. And uh, played Harry in the Sarah Jane Adventures episode The Mad Woman in the Attic. <laughs> it's a reunion. It is a reunion, yes. So that gives us a who count of three for Horizon. So, should we uh, wind this mother down? Oh, go on then. 
So, Mr. Wilson, what's, what's shaking over at Earth2.net? What's shaking? Well, uh, all you anime fans, uh, our anime guy, Mr. Callan Scrivens, um, every year he normally uh, volunteers at his local anime convention in Canada uh, called Icon. In addition to being the regular host of Animazing Podcast, um, he has done uh, quite a few recordings from that convention where he's uh, done some recordings of panels from the convention and I believe he's done the odd interview as well. Um, So that's boosted. But as it often does whenever (laughs) uh, we go to conventions, we um, legitimately or otherwise uh, record panels and uh, that sees uh, the number the episode number of the podcast shoots up somewhat. Um, so, yes, there have been six podcasts to date that have been taken from Kellen State's icons. So, uh, if you're a fan of anime, give them a listen, and by all means, just listen on a regular basis to Animazing Podcast, and also uh, Kellen co-hosts Avatar, the last podcast, uh, with two of his pals, um, and that's all about, uh, I'm sure you won't be able to guess, but <laughs> it's a walkthrough of Avatar The Last Airbender, the, uh, the anime series, as opposed to <laughs> the M. Night Shyamalan feature film. Yes. If, if you can call it a feature film. Uh, which who knows, maybe one day that'll end up on our other podcast, The Tranquil Tirades. Which is all about just doing down <laughs> bad films. <laughs> In fact, actually, uh, the Tranquil Tirades will have just put up a new episode by the time uh, this gets put up. And sadly, I've completely forgotten what they're doing it on. But, um, <laughs> but the, the calibre of the episodes is quite high. As long as you like uh, listening to film reviews as, as beat by beat. Um, which is what they do, and insult their way through it as they go. So uh, Splendid. So, yes, that's, that is one of my favourite Earth 2 podcasts, so uh, highly recommended. Excellent. Well, over at Geek Planet, uh, as mentioned earlier, the, uh, the Babylon Project uh, just put an episode up where they interview the creator of Babylon 5, J.M. Straczynski, so if you have any interest in JMS's work, uh, he also discusses some of the stuff he's done with uh, comics and with cartoons, things like Jason the Wheel Warriors and He-Man, and even some of the stuff he did with Murder, She Wrote. So it, it sort of, it's not just... Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. What? What? Yes, yes. Murder, She Wrote? Yes, he, he came in on the, uh, the last series of Murder, She Wrote when the, uh, the ratings were flagging, and he's uh, one of the people credited with reviving the show's fortunes in its final season. <laughs> Well, that I didn't know. If you think that's bad, he also wrote for Jacob the Fat Man. Oh, I don't know what that is. Uh, go find the opening credits to somewhere and then weep openly that some someone actually paid money to commission it. Also, I'd like to give a big shout-out to uh, the guys at the uh, the Gentleman's Grindhouse, which is uh, our, our, our horror podcast, and uh, they're recording their final episode this very evening. Oh. But looking back at all the, uh, the films they've covered and they're, like, they're going to have lots of feedback and that, so... Uh, if anybody listening to this hasn't listened to any of the episodes of The Gentleman's Grindhouse, I strongly recommend you do so. 
Uh, it's always sad when a podcast comes to an end for whatever reason. I mean, Tom and Matt have done some great, great episodes, and it's, it's basically just well worth a listen. If, if you're into if you're into horror, give the Gentleman's Grindhouse a look. Yes. And also, we've got some uh, good stuff coming up from our uh, our good friends from across the pond, Mike and Ike, who have been uh, currently interviewing various people from uh, Reanimator the Musical of late. Reanimator the Musical. Yes. Yes. Well, they're all, they've already been big advocates of Evil Dead, the musical. And right. So when they discovered there was a reanimator, the musical, they got terribly excited. They still haven't seen it yet. They've seen sort of clips of it on YouTube. But they have been sort of busily running around, sort of interviewing various people, including, um, oh, I'm going to lose geek cred here for not remembering the guy's name. But they, it looks like they may have an interview lined up with uh, the director of the show, who actually is the same man who directed the original reanimator. Uh, and also, uh, at some point soon, they, they actually did a, uh, a live show, uh, doing a commentary along with a uh, with a film and doing some uh, live sketches and stuff. And hopefully, that's going to be going up on Geek Planet at some point for uh, people to download for a small fee, just to uh, sort of cover Mike and Mike's costs and stuff. So it, it'll be very reasonably priced. But if anybody fancies looking at that, that will be up on Geek Planet soon. Good, good, good. So I think that's us pretty much done, isn't it? Welcome back, Spring Commander. I apologise for not being here in person but I think you'll appreciate my reasons. I overlooked the girl. Well, no, to be fair to myself, your people overlooked her. I know she was only a bond slave, but they should have realized she was gone rather sooner than they did. I might have adapted the strategy. Oh, well, even a genius can make mistakes. Look at it this way, Supreme Commander. You haven't lost anything. Whereas I, well, I've lost my career, my position. The respect of my peers. Come to think of it, I haven't lost much either. On the subject of losers. Be careful of Travis. The catharsis he got by killing that first clone will have worn off by now. It is mad as ever he was. But then, aren't we all? One last thing, Supreme Commander. I must tell you this. You are undoubtedly the sexiest officer I have ever known. Goodbye, Well, next episode we're going to be covering another two episodes, which are going to be Pressure Point and Trial. And until then, from me, Dave Probert. And myself, Ian Wilson. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Shake and Blake.